My name is Jerry, and uh, one of the pastors here at Northwest. It's my joy to be able to share with you here this morning. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, well, listen, to start things out, I want to bring you back to a certain year. How many people were alive and well in 1990? You remember it well? All right, well, this song came upon the scene in 1990. It was on Jock Jams. I was 15 years old, playing basketball. Just go ahead and bring it up a little bit more. Let's feel it. All right, and there's the line, right? I've got the power. Imagine the person writing this song. Hmm, I've got the power. What should the next line be? I've got the power. power. I'll write it down again. Oh, yeah, we'll just keep on going with it. There we go. That's good. And so you get the idea. You remember that one? I've got the power. And I want you to think about that phrase right there. And I want you to think about that phrase coupled with another phrase from a video that also aired in the 90s. It was a commercial for Nike and it is power packed. And if you're listening online or on the podcast, do a search for Nike video, Courage, um, I've Got Soul, and it'll come up and you can fully play along. Check this video out, take this in and watch the phrase right at the beginning, go. make you want to go run a marathon or go play basketball or just go punch somebody or something. Don't do that. But we get that idea, right? That phrase right in the beginning, everything you need is already inside. And it's funny because that video again came out in the 90s and uh, you know there's at least one person on there that has disqualified himself because obviously everything that he needed was not already inside and had to take some additional supplements to get him, you know what I'm saying if you know your sports history. But anyway, the sports market and the music market capitalizing on this idea, you've got the power and everything you need is already there inside. And I use those two illustrations right out of the gate here because this morning as we're talking about discipleship uh, here in our series, this is number five in a six-week series, um, but we're kind of closing things down here a little bit with the challenge that says, okay, we've heard a lot about how Jesus dealt with people, how Jesus brought along his followers, and today the challenge is going to be for us as a church body to step out and be willing to act on this and disciple somebody else. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you've got the power and that everything you need is already inside. Now I'm hoping this is going to be a little bit like a, um, (laughs) you know, a little bit like a Wizard of Oz kind of morning in the sense that you remember that final scene where there's Dorothy and she's there with a good witch and she's like, I really want to go home. And the witch is like, well, you could have gone home anytime you've wanted. 
She's like, why didn't you tell me this? You know, like you've had the power all along. All you have to do is do it. And I'm here to tell you this morning as it pertains to this, man, if you could walk out of these doors and remember those two concepts that we've just illustrated up here, this morning is going to be a success. All right, just to bring everybody up to speed, Jesus, his final command to his disciples while he was here on the earth in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we have it up here, was this. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority, remember that word, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So the phrase that we just want to open up with is that true disciples make other disciples. True followers of Jesus produce other followers of Jesus. And we want you, honestly, to ask yourself the question here this morning, am I doing that? Am I making disciples? Am I obeying? Because these were Jesus' final words, his final instructions before he left. And it was a command. So if you're anything like me, uh, when you hear these kinds of messages immediately, all these excuses go up, all these red flags as to why you can't do it. So the way we've crafted uh, the message here this morning is we're going to smash three excuses as to why you cannot, at this point in your life, make disciples. Now again, this message is largely for people that love Jesus and that are committed to him and that our Christians here this morning, we recognize every week we've got some that are coming in, not fully convinced yet, and that's awesome. You guys can play along too and learn some things from Jesus as well. He was a master teacher that can be applied to a lot of different areas of life. But for those of us that would say that we belong to him, the command is given, you need to go and make disciples. Let's talk about these excuses. The first one that we've crafted, number one, is perhaps you would say to yourself, well, I'm not mature enough to do it. Maybe you're asking yourself the question, well, am I ready? I'm not mature enough. You ever been thrown into some situation where you were completely caught off guard and, and not ready and just expected to go do it? A few years back, I was in India leading a mission trip with some students, and I was there with an Indian pastor. We were there at his large church, and it was all um, singing in, in other languages in Hindi, and, uh, but I could see the schedule, and I recognized the songs and the tune of the songs, and I knew that after that song was uh, when Pastor Mano Daniel was going to get up there and preach. It was right there in the schedule, and we're there on the last song. It's the last verse of the last song. It's like the last line of the last verse of the last song, and Mano Daniel, my friend, leans over to me, and he goes, Jerry, Jerry, you preach. I said, come again now? You know, I was sitting back as a pastor. You know, you're up here a lot, and there are times you just want to sit back and see how other people do it and follow along, and amen, brother, but not the pressure of being up front and, you know, whatever. He's like, no, Shetty, you preach, you preach. And I'm like, um, okay. Now it's like the last, like, amen, you know, like the time frame is 10 seconds, and I'm on. And I'm like, well, how long do you want me to speak for? You have one hour. I'm like, oh, good heavens. 
oh, all right. I mean, you don't even have time at that point to like reach into some back pocket message, you know, that's got some outline. Oh, yeah, that was an illustration. Oh, yeah, that was the text. Okay, okay. Yep, got it. It's like, no, you're stepping out there in front of these people and like from America, they're expecting something grand or maybe not, you know. Oh, these Americans. We expect nonsense. I, I don't know. But I went to Hebrews chapter 12, and I talked about faith. And if you know your Bible, man, Hebrews chapter 12, it lists off about 20 different great Old Testament characters that you could speak for hours on that, right? So I'm glad that God led me to that passage in particular, and it was fine. But the point is, thrown into some situation where you're like, I have not had adequate time to prepare. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, okay, God, I'm willing. Here I am, but I'm not ready. And I wonder if many of us have that excuse, and certainly we know that the disciples had that excuse, and we're wondering if they were mature enough to carry out this great commission, right? Think about it. All of them, as we've mentioned, at least 11 of the 12 are most likely teenagers. And you remember from several weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about the rabbinical model of the Talmudim, which is the, the word for disciples, discipleship group, and how they would gather and they would join a rabbi and they would stay with him for many, many years, oftentimes until the age of 30 where that rabbi then would release them to public ministry of their own, whether they were going to be a scribe or a lawyer or whether they were going to be a priest or whatever it was. So you can imagine, if that were the case, some of these guys probably joined Jesus when they were 15, 16, 17, hanging out with them for three years, right? And then at the Last Supper, when Jesus lays down his ultimate plan as he had been hinting at all along and said, oh, by the way, I'm going to go from you. I'm going to be leaving you. Oh, I'm going back to my father, by the way. Uh, but don't worry, I'll send you the Holy Spirit later on. But me physically, I'm going. And you can imagine if some of them were like, oh, hold, hold on. We just got shortchanged by like 12 years. We're not ready to take over this. You're our rabbi. We still have a lot more learning to do and a lot more imitating to do. And we're not experienced. We're not ready. We're not mature. But even so, that's when Jesus decided to leave. You want evidence of their immaturity? Look, barely over a month before Jesus left, right? 40 days approximately. And that's where you get the whole scene of the final week of Jesus' life and the crucifixion and everything. And just think about these guys who he's entrusting this task to. You had Thomas who publicly doubted out loud that Jesus had raised from the dead. You've got, you know, the other 11 who just, who just scattered when the Romans came and left Jesus alone. And then, of course, you got Peter who publicly three different times denied that he even knew his rabbi. His whole role of, as a disciple was to be known as uh, somebody who was so close to Jesus that he was covered in his dust. And yet now here publicly with profanities and with cursings, he says, I don't know my rabbi at all. So barely over a month later, Jesus is saying, nope, I'm leaving and I'm entrusting all of this to you. So man, for many of us, that could be a huge roadblock. I'm not mature enough. Well, think about the Apostle Paul. Here's how he put it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, what did he say? He said, so be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
So in other words, Paul demonstrated for us in his disciple making, saying, yep, come alongside, yep, watch me, here's information, and here's imitation, but not because I want a bunch of little Pauls around me. I don't want you to be just like me. That's not what discipleship is. And maybe for some of you, and maybe even for some of these disciples, they're like, well, we're not ready yet, and we've still got weaknesses, and we've still got issues. We're still selfish, and we're still immature. I don't want anybody else, you know, to, to follow after me. Well, Paul's saying, no, it's not following after me. It's follow after me as I follow after Christ. You see the difference there? Put it this way. Look at this phrase. Paul wasn't saying, follow me, I'm perfect. He was saying, follow me as I passionately pursue his perfection. If you think about the life of Paul, he was pretty wide open with his weaknesses. Just, if anybody here, I have to raise your hand, but man, if anybody here is walking through darkness and depression, uh, loneliness, feeling like a failure, just go ahead and read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what Paul said, and here's, yep, I'm writing this to this church. I want this to be read publicly. Here's what's going on in my life, Paul says. He's like, man, when we got there, we were so discouraged. We felt the sentence of death in our hearts. We anticipated that, you know, we wanted to give up. Nobody stood up for us. Nobody was there. We were failures, and we just wanted to cash it all in. So Paul's not saying to people, hey, I want you to be discouraged. I want you to be depressed. I want you to have anxiety and fear. Paul's saying, no, you know what? I'm passionately pursuing his perfection, and I'm a disciple of him, so I want to invite you in to follow me as I follow him. And instead of trying to acquire some status where, yep, we're finally mature enough to disciple someone else, we got it all figured out, Paul's like, no, follow me in my weakness. That's okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, right? And chapter 12. In our weakness, that's when we're made strong. Here's the areas that I've stumbled. I want to share these with you, but guess what? I'm stumbling because I'm crawling and I'm running and I'm chasing after the image of Jesus Christ. Follow me in that journey. That's what dismantles the excuse that I'm not ready yet. I'm not mature enough. Number two, how about this excuse? What if you say, well, I don't have the power or I don't have the authority to do it. Maybe you're asking yourself the question, well, who am I after all, right? Whereas question number one, you're saying, well, am I ready? And here, the second excuse, maybe you're asking yourself, well, who am I? I don't really have a handle on these things. And, you know, well, man, I tell you what, this last couple of weeks and these last couple of months, really, as we've been studying this, there's just been an explosion of incredible knowledge and insight from the history of the rabbinical culture in the first century. And you got to follow me uh, with this, but I promise you it'll be worth it. When you talk about power, when you talk about authority, we need to go back 2,000 years and we need to understand that at that time when Jesus came on the scene as the rabbi and he was healing people and he was uh, performing miracles, we need to understand that he was not the only rabbi that was doing that. There was a few other famous rabbis that could also perform miracles and that could heal people, and these are from some extra-biblical sources, 
but reliable nonetheless. Some Jewish historians and other writings talked about several of these rabbis that had what they called smika. Everybody say smika. And that's the Hebrew word for authority or power. And literally it means the laying on of hands or the commissioning. So in Galilee, in this area that was a hotbed for rabbinical teachers and, and culture, there were several very well-known rabbis that they had this smika. They were able to perform miracles. They were able to heal people. They were able to come up with new and fresh interpretation of the Old Testament. And they had many followers and many disciples along with them. They were well-known. They were famous. They were respected. And what's interesting about it is they trace that lineage, that spiritual lineage, all the way back to the time of Moses, who was, in their minds, the very first rabbi. And in Numbers chapter 11, Moses gathered 70 judges, 70 elders of Israel, and it says that Moses gave them his smika, his authority. And they, therefore, went out and aided with judgments and were supernaturally empowered by God to do incredible things and to be a representative of Moses. And we see a beautiful illustration of that, literally, in uh, Numbers chapter 27, verses 18 through 20, because it was said that at the end of each of these um, judges' lives, they would commission, pick one person, lay their hands on them, and they would give that other person their authority, their power. And we see an illustration of that here in Numbers 27. And so um, also to Joshua, the Lord said to Moses, now take Joshua again at the end of his life, the son of Nun, a man in whom there is spirit, and lay your hands on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. So these few rabbis could trace all the way back spiritual lineage to the time of Moses and transferring that authority and that person would transfer and they would come all the way down over a thousand years later now to the time of Jesus. And these were the ones that were the most popular and the most sought after. And this whole idea of laying on of hands is commissioning. And we get a sense of that even today, right? In our 21st century Christianity. If a pastor is ordained, when I was ordained several years ago, when I was in Michigan, they had me on the stage. They called up any other ordained pastor that was there. They called them up on stage, and what do you do? They laid their hands on me, and they prayed over me, and they're saying, this is confirmation that God's got his hand on this life. This is confirmation that he is able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with authority. And basically what that was saying for these rabbis is now part of me is going to be on you and in you. And you are going to be part of me now. My authority I am giving to you. Absolutely fascinating. Because when Jesus came on the scene, he was performing miracles he was healing people. And what was said of him over and over and over again by the scribes and by the Pharisees? Where did he get 
his authority. Who gave him smika? Did somebody, did the other ones that we know, did they commission him? We don't understand because he is speaking as one who has authority. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus finished these sayings, these teachings. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for it was teaching, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribe. So what does this mean for us, and what does this have to do with us? Well, if we're following after Jesus as our rabbi, we need to dive closely into how he dealt with his disciples. And remember, only the, the best rabbis had these Talmudim that followed them, and it was the greatest dream in the world for that rabbi, especially one well-known who had this authority, to at the end of his life turn to one of his disciples who had been following him around and say, I am going to put my authority on you. I am choosing you. A part of me is now going to be in you, and you and I are connected now. I am giving this to you. That was the greatest dream for any disciple. But look what happened. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. Look what happened in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called the 12 disciples, and he said, I am now giving you authority. And he sent them out, and they performed incredible things, and they shared the truth of the kingdom of God. And we land now in Luke chapter 10, our main text, where we're going to be spending a little bit of time. Because this is the second rung now, the second layer of disciples. Jesus had the 12. Now here in Luke chapter 10, we get the 70. Some versions say 72. But even so, let's read this. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And in verse 19, it says, behold, I have given you authority. So now we see this is not just for the disciples, definitely not just for one of the disciples, but it's not just for the 12 original ones. Now there's 70 disciples who have been following along. Jesus has been teaching them, and now the commissioning is taking place. I'm sending you out ahead of me, two by two, and I want you to go to all these homes, and oh, by the way, I'm sending you out as a sheep among wolves. It's not going to be easy, uh, and I'm not going with you, by the way. I'm just going to stay right back here. I am sending you out but I am giving you my authority. And so what does this mean for us? I'll tell you, when we think about like, oh, I don't have the power to do anything. I don't have the authority to pour into somebody or disciple somebody else. I hear many Christians talk about like, oh, you know what? Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace and I'm just a worthless, you know, piece of dirt and piece of trash and I'm just, you know, not worthy of anything and blah, blah, blah. Well, that is certainly true before you met Jesus, but man, when you read scripture and you figure out that, man, Ephesians chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit came and invaded our hearts and made this his temple, all of a sudden we are now positionally made incredibly holy and given incredible position and power. Check out this passage of scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is what God is saying about us now, okay? 
For his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things? Say that again. How many things? God has already given us all things that we need for life and godliness. I've got the power. Everything you need is already inside. Right now. Keep on reading. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Not only has he given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, He's also allowed us, this verse says, to partake of the divine nature. So somehow we've got a divine nature within us. And listen, that's not saying that it's not constantly a battle. That's not saying that we should just sit back and, uh, you know, hey, I got everything we need. God said it, so we're good. Man, absolutely we need to strive. Absolutely we need to give more and more of ourselves over to the Holy Spirit's um, power and influence in our life on a daily basis, and hopefully that never stops. We understand that progression to try and be more and more like our rabbi Jesus. But certainly at a positional level, what I'm trying to explain to you here this morning is that God has given us an incredibly high position already. We've got everything we need. We've got the mind of Christ, Paul says in Corinthians. Think about, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. That is what we are. We're co-heirs ruling with Christ. And we're not going to see that ultimately in its fulfillment until we get there in heaven with him. But we need to just totally destroy this myth that says you're not mature enough, you've got no power, you've got no spiritual authority. Jesus gave that to his disciples and disciples beyond that. And he gives it to us today. That authority, that smika, is within us in a very real sense. A part of God is in us, Ephesians chapter 1. Holy Spirit deposited in us. That doesn't mean that we've got the power to create new interpretations of scripture, but it does mean that we can share through scripture the Holy Spirit as he empowers us and leads us on. That doesn't mean that we have the power to heal people or perform miracles, but it does mean that we can share in the healing power of the gospel and point them to the God of miracles. What about the third excuse? Maybe you're saying, well, okay, but honestly, I just don't even know how to do it. What does that mean to disciple somebody? What does that look like? I don't know how to do it. Well, we have to look at our rabbi. How did Jesus do it? Well, he intentionally invested in a small group of people. And listen, maybe for some of you, when you think about discipleship, you think about like, well, I don't want to get hooked up with, you know, somebody who's like maybe an engineer or a nerdy kind of guy, and I'm like a sports kind of guy, and we just got nothing in common, and, you know, I, yeah, I, what, what, is, what is that going to look like? You know, who does God want me to pour into and minister to? Listen, Jesus had several different levels of influence in his life, right? He had the crowds like this. He had the 120 we read in scripture. He had 70 like we talked about. He had the 12 disciples. And then even amongst them, he had the three, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. 
who he picked out, who he invited in to invest in, in a very unique and special way. And I'm here to tell you this morning, man, when we talk about looking in your circle of influence, we don't want to necessarily just hook you up with a complete stranger to disciple. We want there to be some level of affinity and something that perhaps even you're already doing. We're talking about intentionality, not something in addition. So as you think about already, you're involved in a life group, you're involved in a women's Bible study, you're involved in a huddle group of men's ministry or some other connectivity that you already have, we want you to look within those already existing relationships or with somebody that you can picture yourself really connecting with. Think about this in uh, Luke chapter 10. Continue on with the um, rest of the scripture there, the rest of the account there. Um, you know, when Jesus sent them out, he told them to go house to house. And he said, when you go to a house, I want you to see if there's a person of peace that lives there. And that's kind of an odd phrase. But basically what he's saying is somebody who will listen to you somebody who you can connect with, somebody who likes you and is open enough to listen to you share about the gospel, a person of peace. And if that person's not there, go to the next house and see where you can find somebody that you can have that connectivity with. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the same holds true with us. I would love it if God would bring to your mind somebody who you can think of that you can connect with, that you've got an affinity with, that perhaps there would be an opportunity to open up a situation where you could say, hey, I'd love to meet with you and I'd love to disciple you. Or, hey, you know what? I really need to still learn a lot and would you be willing to disciple me? Person of peace. Notice again that it was in the homes. Discipleship happens in casual, everyday environments. Discipleship does not happen in the temple. Okay, notice that big difference? Jesus was always in the temple. Jesus was gathering the crowds, and that's great, and that's where he's teaching. This is valuable. We're going to do this every Sunday. This is good, but that's not where discipleship happens. Discipleship does not happen when you're wearing a mic. Discipleship happens when you're in a living room or when you're in a coffee shop, when you're eyeball to eyeball with somebody and sharing openly and honestly over food and drink in homes. That's the command that Jesus gave to the seventy. I want you to notice a, a big element here as we just get ready to close. What is the joy in it? What is the purpose? What is the value? Why should I step out and be open to being discipled or discipling somebody? Notice what happened with the 70. This is so fantastic. The same passage, uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, after Jesus sent them out, commissioned them out, gave them authority. Look what it says. And the 70 then returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw you being effective. Verse 21, and in that same hour, he, that is Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Again, evidence that these were largely young people. But I want to challenge you here this morning with this final thought. When you talk about discipleship, I want you to notice the reverberating, exponential nature of joy that you see 
exemplified by Jesus. He's saying, you know what? I could have gone to those 35 houses that I sent the 72, two by two. I could have gone. I could have knocked on each door. I could have shared about the kingdom of heaven. I could have done all that stuff. That's what he's been doing for the last three years. But instead, he knew and he recognized that, sure, the disciples would have been happy if they saw him do it again and again and again and again. But now Jesus is saying, oh, no, you know what? That's great, and I love it, but I want to see this joy explode. So I'm going to send you, and I'm not even going with you. And I tell you what, as, as somebody who's been involved in church and teaching and leading and discipling, there are no greater joys than to see other people that you've poured into step out and experience God in brand new and fresh ways. I've been blessed enough to be on probably at least 40 mission trips that I've led or, or been a part of with students and with adults and with whatever. And I'll tell you, it's great for me to go out there and dig and uh, you know, plant a tree for this needy family down in Haiti to help them get sustainable growth or to pray with them or to preach or to put on kids' ministries or to go door to door and whatever, whatever the work of the mission trip is. That's, I love doing it. But you know what's even more joy than that is when I don't do it and I see other people challenged, step up and do it and just like the disciples, they come back with such joy. Do you see that? You can imagine the disciples almost running. Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, I know you'd believe it because you really technically knew it and that's why you sent us and you kind of know everything, but you wouldn't believe it. We were actually able to heal people and we saw Satan come down and we saw effectiveness and, and they're so happy because they actually got a chance to experience what the teacher was doing. And you see Jesus' response right here? You ever see that picture of Jesus laughing, you know, like that one image in uh, Hallmark and whatever? Anybody with me on that? It's probably where it comes from. It said, Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit. He's dying laughing. He's like, I know. Come on over here, man. That was so great. Tell me about it. I kind of know about it, but I still want you to tell me about it because you're so happy and I don't want to throw a wet blanket because I know everything. Tell me about it. And Jesus was full of joy and laughter because the people that he loved were stepping out and experiencing God in new ways. And I'm telling you what, if you're a believer here this morning and you've got a head that's full of knowledge, you've been involved in church for a long time and maybe you've been even doing a lot of ministry and you're doing a lot of stuff and you're tired, you're missing out on a whole exponential level of joy and satisfaction by pouring into somebody else and seeing the joy in their hearts and their faces as they experience God. You ever been confused by the passage that Jesus said to his disciples, hey, doing miracles and healing and all that, but oh, by the way, guys, you will do even greater things than these. You ever been perplexed by that? What are you talking about? I mean, Jesus, I can't do anything close to what you did on an individual level. Well, he's not necessarily talking about that. He's like, you disciples, I mean, I'm just one man. I'm God, I'm Jesus, but I'm still in a physical body and I can only speak this much. I mean, he could do more, but that's what he chose to do. But he's saying, you guys are gonna do way more, way more works than what I did. Yeah, I'm going to be leaving you, but I am empowering you with the authority and with the drive and with the energy and the strength to make incredible things happen if you will continue this multiplication. 
So what does this mean for us here even this morning? Well, basically, uh, as you came in, you were handed um, hopefully one of these. We don't do this a whole lot here at Northwest, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but as a staff, we're talking about, man, how can we challenge our people to enter into the next level of spiritual growth and obedience and step into this exponential uh, plan that God had for the church to explode, not by everybody coming in and, oh, let's invite more people on Sunday, but by our people going out, not in the temples, but in the homes to pour in and disciple others. And we said, hey, you know what? Let's just give it a stab and let's see what happens. Well, we uh, have this little card that, man, it would just give us great joy if you would think about filling this out. And basically, there's three categories of people here. There's more than that, but for our purposes, uh, there's three categories of people. Number one, uh, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, all right, well, I'm not even really sure that I'm convinced of this whole Jesus thing, and I'm not a follower yet. I'm not a true believer yet, but I'm ready, and I want to become a follower. I don't know him in a personal way, but I want to. Man, we would love to help you through that. Maybe that's the box that you can... Just kind of check here this morning. Maybe for some, you're saying, you know what I need? I need somebody to disciple me. I mean, I know I've been given everything, but there's still a lot that I don't know, and I just have a very basic understanding, or, you know, I do need to grow some, and I, I'd really be open to having somebody disciple me and meet with me and pour into me. That's, that's the second box there. And maybe for many of us, it's the third one that says, you know what, I've been around the church scene for a while. I've got a whole lot of... Uh, information, but it's time that I step into an intentional relationship with somebody that I can pour that into and open up my life um, for imitation as I follow Christ. Please help get me started. Maybe that's what you need to check out this morning. And there's a spot there for your name and for your email. And this isn't like a hounding kind of thing or a calling or emailing and asking for money or I mean, obviously, this is, hey, let's, let's gather these, let's hook people up together, and let's resource them, and let's get this started. Amen? I mean, I know there's a lot of great things going on, and there's people in discipleship groups already, and, 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 and there's a lot of that going on, but man, we sense that there, there's a lot more that, that could be going on. So I'm going to have Tyler come on out here and the band come on out here and I'm going to pray for us and we're going to, we're going to sing a song and uh, for the first verse and chorus, I just want you to look at the words and I just want you to think about it. I want you to look at that card. I want you to ponder checking that off and no other pressure besides that. For the first verse and chorus and then Tyler's going to invite you to all stand up and sing. This whole idea that like, yeah, Jesus is the center of it all. And we want to be disciples, we want to be followers, we want to be followers of him. So man, let's declare that together. And then after we dismiss, I would just invite you to just drop this card. If you filled one out, just drop it right back in the offering towers at the back of the auditorium here. Just drop it right back in there and we'll uh, follow up with you from there. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have decided to reveal these incredible things to us little children in so many ways, immature in so many ways, selfish in so many ways, unworthy in so many ways. But Lord, you have made us worthy. You've given us your divine nature. 
and you've given us access to the king of the universe. So Father, I just pray that that you would move and your spirit would empower people to step out perhaps to something they've never done before. Father, we don't want to be counted amongst the churches that ignored your call to make disciples. So we love you, God. Be pleased with our prayer.